Take it from the top. Take one. This is Within. Shifting the conversation on who is in prison. Recording within three prisons across the Colorado Department of Corrections. Denver Women's Correctional Facility. Sterling Correctional Facility. Denver Reception and Diagnostic Center. Denise Press. Andrew Drake. Terry Mosley Jr. Sanjay Marshall. Ashley Hamilton. Sarah Berry. Brett Phillips. Angel Lopez. Travis Barnes. Matthew Labonte. Here at Within, as we work to shift the conversation on who is in prison, we've asked our guests and our hosts to freely share their perspective. The opinions expressed in this podcast are strictly those of the person who gave them. Because we recorded this season virtually across so many sites, there's going to be moments where our sound quality is not as perfect as we wanted it to be. We'll ask for your understanding and let you know that we're always working to provide a wonderful listening experience. Season two, welcome back. Welcome back. Season two, welcome back. We did it. Welcome back. Season two, yeah. Yay, we're back. It's amazing. Season two, welcome back. We're here. Hi, I'm Ashley Hamilton, the executive producer of Within. Wow. Welcome back. Season two, we're here. It's hard for me almost to believe Our team has been working for almost two years for this moment. The last year and a half has been brutal for everyone, but especially for folks inside. I am so proud that we are finally here and that this, my voice, our voices, are making our way out from behind the walls and into your ears. So a little bit of context of what we've been up to and how we even got to this moment. In the winter of 2019, after we had released season one, our team regathered back in the vault and began planning for season two. We shaped 12 episodes that we were so excited to bring to you. In early 2020, we made plans for beginning to record. March of 2020, to be exact. A few days before our team got on buses and drove across the state to head back to the vault to record, COVID hit. It was terrifying for everyone, for all of us, but especially terrifying for folks in prison. Our team has not gathered physically in one place since. Yet somehow, between lockdowns and all of the insanity of the last year and a half, we persevered. In July of 2020, our team began meeting virtually across four sites, three prisons, Denver Women's Correctional Facility, the Denver Reception and Diagnostic Center, and Sterling Correctional Facility in my office at DU. And we began planning again. This time, we looked at each other across our virtual screens and asked, well, what story should we tell now? We went all the way back to the drawing board. We completely redesigned our structure of our episodes, as you're about to hear in this next hour. And we pulled on a couple of new team members. We made some big changes to the Within team and to the way that we work. And we are so excited to show you what we've got. A couple of things to listen out for. We have music coming to you from inside, from Denver Reception and Diagnostic Center and the brilliant Mr. Travis Barnes, who has created songs for every episode this season. 
we have all of our producing and our post-production and sound engineering happening inside now. All of these episodes were edited in facilities by our team who were trained by some of the leading experts in sound engineering in the country. I am so proud of our team. In all of our episodes, you're going to be hearing from multiple voices on the same topic. You're also going to get to know our within team better. You're going to hear all of us interview folks. It's uh, quite the logistical gymnastics effort, but we're really proud of what we've created for you. This season, we're going to be diving into some of the most complex conversations that you can have. Yes, we're going to be talking about COVID and the political moment that we've been in. We're going to be talking about juvenile justice, mental health, restorative justice, re-entry, and transformative justice, and more. I'm so glad you're with us. You're listening. It has been wild to get to this moment, but we did it. It makes me emotional almost thinking about it, how over the last year especially, our team met every week, twice a week. Sometimes some facilities were locked down and wouldn't be there, and I'd only meet with one facility. And then the next week, a different facility would come off lockdown and another one would go on. There were months where all three facilities weren't meeting all at once with each other. And I was sort of just the the thread between it all. But eventually, we all made our way back to each other. We also all found something too. On this first episode of Within Season 2, we're going to start off with introducing you to some of the voices and stories that you're going to be hearing over the coming weeks and months. Then we're going to take it to Andrew and Denise at Sterling Correctional Facility in Denver Women's Correctional Facility to hear a little bit about their reflections on Season 1 and their most proud moments. And then we're going to end the episode with an interview between Terry Mosley from Sterling Correctional Facility, our producer of Within, and Executive Director of the Department of Corrections, Dean Williams, to talk a little bit about his thoughts on season one and where we're headed. Inside and join us for the second season of Within, where we speak to Dean Williams, Executive Director of the Colorado Department of Corrections. Well, I have to tell you, when we started this journey, I wasn't sure where this was going to go, but I tried to make sure that we kept a light hand on it and that it really was your podcast and that you were covering really meaty stuff, right? Like big stuff, real life, real issues. But you dealt with uh, this tension of what happens with people who end up behind the walls. How did you get there? And telling this larger story of what it means to be there and trying to find a way back home again. Wayne Gilbert, poet and professor. I think it's really interesting the way you talked about though being disconnected or sort of, because when the pandemic started, I remember 
experiencing that initial shock of isolation, of uncertainty, like who knew what the future was going to be? My family was was far far away, even though they were all in the in the area where I live. I, they were they were out of my life for who knew how long in every way. And I remember I remember writing to you saying like, "How do you do this, man? How do you handle the the smallness of this new world and the the absence of?" people you love and I just felt certain that you had probably developed some skills in that regard that I really needed to learn now because my life was somehow like yours in ways I I didn't feel like it was before if that makes any sense but I really needed your help in that regard to help help me survive this this new world I found myself in Laundry Sergeant Cooper of Denver Women's Correctional Facility you know one of my biggest things is I don't ever want to be the reason that either my family gets COVID or my workers get COVID. Nurse Susan, caretaker at Sterling Correctional Facility. I think that COVID has left me, I don't know, stunned. I just am stunned. You know, sometimes I think I just need to like sit back and just like not do anything and just, you know, absorb the terrible impact of this whole thing, you know? Cyrus Clarkson, food service captain at Sterling Correctional Facility. If you take it, red ants and black ants and put them in a jar, they'll live harmoniously. But you shake that jar, open it up and dump it on the ground, and those ants will fight to the death because the red ants think the black ants are the enemy. The black ants think the red ants are the enemy. But the person that is really the enemy is the person shaking the jar. Instead of trying to get our own points across, let's listen to the other side a little bit more, and maybe then we can find the common ground. Andre Stancil, executive staff with the Colorado Department of Corrections. The Blue Lives Matter versus the, I, I hate to say versus, because I think we, I think we've labeled it, but I think we all want the same thing. Kevin James. Volunteer firefighter with the CDOC SWIFT program and resident of Buena Vista Correctional Facility. He turns to me and he says, do you know what I do for a living? He says, I'm a cop. I was like, what? Oh man, I'm tripping, right? I could get arrested for the things that I just told this person. And he says, I'm no different than you are. I'm a human being that's made mistakes. What we're doing here is we're confronting the things that we've done in our past. We're going to take the steps necessary for you to confront those things. So you no longer walk around looking over your shoulder. You no longer walk around feeling shame or guilt or regret for the things that you've done. And it blew me away. Tiffany McCoy, resident at Denver Women's Correctional Facility. Well, I was raised to have issues with authority. Like, I was raised not to respect authority. So as a kid, you're not allowed to cuss, right? But me, as a child, FTP, some people might know F the police. I was allowed to say the F in that as the only cuss word I could say. So coming into prison, I didn't like staff. I didn't like them. I didn't trust people who did like them. Like, it was that bad. Oh, you're talking to this cop? Nah, I don't trust you. What are you up to, right? So when we started working with staff on voices, I started 
learning that we're a team. It's not us against them. And that was actually one of the main things we wanted to do with Voices when we first started was get rid of the us versus them mentality. Because we can be a team and we can change things for everybody in here, the people who work here and the people who live here. Leandra Bumpus, resident at Denver Women's Correctional Facility. The very first talk we had about the talk, and the talk consisted of what it meant for me and my brothers as black people and the opening to what our experiences will most likely be growing up. I don't think that there's ever a good time to have a talk with your black children about their blackness within this country. And I remember that's my first experience with understanding and recognizing that I'm a different type of people other than some people who I coexist with. Rydell Dotson, peer mentor and resident of Arkansas Valley Correctional Facility. I am the one to blame for me being back in prison. Attorney Ashley Ratliff. I'm always trying to find different legal issues to help a client um, either litigate or mitigate who is, why is, and how can we help this person not find themselves back to where I found them as their lawyer. William Davenport, mental health peer assistant at Sterling Correctional Facility. My, my main thing is to just really just, just to be uh, assistance to people, to um, step up and help people out when they're dealing with you know, certain disorders or you know, they're dealing with stress, depression. Uh, I'm on call, man, for these kind of people who need, need somebody to talk to. And uh, I think mental health came up with a real good system that, that uh, you know, allows us and, and uh, other inmates to um, engage and interact with, with someone we could trust, you know, someone we could have a relationship and build with, and someone we'll feel more comfortable being around and talking to and expressing ourselves. Pete Lee, Colorado State Senator. I would say that redemption is transformational change for the good. I think redemption comes when a person recognizes and accepts responsibility for what they did and then engages in positive affirmative acts to redress the wrong that they have done. Monica Chambers restorative justice coordinator for the Colorado Department of Corrections. And the, the traditional current legal system, for the most part, looks at what law was broken, who's responsible, and what's their sentence and punishment gonna be. Restorative justice shifts that to who was harmed and who's responsible to address that harm. Attorney, Kristen Nelson. I don't ever wanna Speak for victims, assume how a person might feel or you know, what their individual journey might feel like or look like in terms of healing. But I also think that it also does victims a disservice to assume that everyone is served by more incarceration. John Sherman, previously incarcerated artist. I decided what I owed my parents, myself, and most importantly, my victim. Uh, he died in the alley. When I was a kid, a, a man got murdered in the alley behind my house. And I thought that was the worst thing a person could ever do is die in the alley. And years later, that's where my victim died, in an alley, by himself. So I owe him something. And I could be the same ruthless, violent individual I was when I met him and encountered him, or I could 
dedicate my life because I took his legacy away. I didn't want his legacy to be the guy that died in the alley. And so I dedicated my life to calling his name. His name is James Floyd. To anything that I accomplished, anything I accomplished, I attributed to, to that moment when I decided that I want to live my life for him. Dr. Shannon Sleva, restorative justice expert and professor at the University of Denver. Part of it is about viewing ourselves as bigger than any one person. So like if you have someone in your community who's not understanding the impact of their actions, then even more, the rest of you who are in that community need to take care of each other and support each other. That you want to continually invite that person, give them an opportunity to join you in the work that you're doing. You know, don't shut the door because you understand if you believe that they have somewhere inside them a desire for community that we have to understand like, there are things that squash people's desire to be in community. It's not like a decision, they just woke up one day and said, I don't want to be in community with anybody. As a child, they wanted that. And then they experienced things that made them feel that, the, that being in community is not a safe place to be. And so I think we just, I would say, we just have to offer those folks grace and patience and allow them to see that they can trust us and that there is a community that is a safe place for them to be a part of and to hope that one day they join us in that. Marsha Willis, Survivor. First of all, anger is not my friend. <laughs> if I live my life angry, what have I gotten out of it? You know, I mean, that's not what I want to feel. I want to feel appreciation. I want to be able to be in awe about the magnificence of this creation. I don't want to just spend it being pissed because somebody doesn't live up to my idea of what we should be doing. Other part of it is it's a total waste of this guy's life. Total waste of his life, you know? I mean, he could actually own this and do something with it that would give him some sense of, 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 of well, relief. Hassan Latif, director of the Second Chance Center. One thing I do know is that it's my choice whether I do certain things, whether I take certain risks, or whether I uh, invest a certain time and effort into one thing or another. Those are my choices. Darius Turner, resident of Lyman Correctional Facility. So I, I started thinking about my children and I got to that point where it was no longer acceptable for me to just tell somebody the right thing. I had to be able to show them too. And to be able to be the example through my actions to forgive others is the, is the, is the way for me that I felt like was the best avenue for me to reach the other bros, my other cousins, my aunties, my mom and them. Because if I wasn't willing to forgive, I can't expect none of them to. Joy Bell Phelan previously incarcerated and employed by the University of Denver Prison Arts Initiative. I think that what I do is nothing special. Anybody can do what I do. Well, the difference I'm learning now is that not everybody chooses to, and I choose to, and that's what makes me different.
Can we, as incarcerated people that have been reduced to an inmate number, feel real again? And when can joy erase pain? Take a walk with Andrew and I. All right, so most people don't know that season one started as just Ashley and I, Denise. Not too many people know that. And, you know, we would have these odd conversations for hours on end. You know, we would talk about things like gun control, women's rights, um, religion, all kinds of different stuff, politics, you know, whatever. We would have these very strange conversations and we didn't always agree. And, you know, still today, we still don't agree on some of them, but we would always walk away as friends. And so, you know, one day she said it would be cool to document these conversations. So we began to brainstorm on ways to do this. And a podcast is what it became. It began organically and it grew organically. And now we have a team of 12. And I know you were pulled in early on. Can you speak, you know, can you speak a little bit about that? You know, I, I don't think people realize what it was like uh, for me. And, and as I sit and think about it, uh, here it was a Friday and I'm pulled into this room with five, four or five other women. And um, we interview with Ashley. I'd only met her one other time previously. And and she's like, have you heard of a podcast before? And I was like, uh, maybe on TV I have. And then then the next thing I know on Monday, um, I'm being transported to DRDC. And I meet you guys in the vault next door. And then I realize, like, this is way bigger than just me in some little space. And having that weight of that was overwhelming. And just me being interviewed and out of, you know, over a thousand women, I'm chosen. And it's like, you don't really realize because you're in such a head spin. Right. We would have these long 12 hour days where we would just plan and plan and plan. You know, we would plan our sessions. We would plan about planning. We would plan about interviewing, plan about interview subjects, and then plan about rethinking those plans. (laughs) And it was fun. You know, it was fun. I enjoyed myself and I know that you did. Well, I did. It was just always crazy. I remember how like everything was there, even though we weren't really ready to plan everything. I remember that big roll of brown paper and we were like, we'll use that. And so then we covered those cinder block walls in that hot little room in the back there. And, and we cover those walls and we just start storyboarding ideas. Um, you know, and somebody would stand up with the marker and we, We'd be like, write it up there, write it up there. And then trying to sift through all of that, trying to figure out what is going to do justice to what we want to talk about. How? Who do we pick? There's such a pool of people to pick from. Who do we pick to interview? And do we even know how to interview anybody? Like all of this stuff. Thank God for Caroline and thank God for Ashley to like direct us. Because otherwise, what would have happened? Like we would have just, it was amazing to watch us learn and trust each other through this whole process. You're right. What what would have happened? Because early on, I remember it was May of 2019 and it was the volunteer banquet here at Sterling Correctional. And part of my job here at the prison is we host all of the volunteers that come to the prison from all across the state. And during this banquet, Ashley shows up and inevitably we begin to talk about and plan the podcast. And the theme of the banquet is painting. 
So we're sitting here, and I don't really recall what we're supposed to paint, but we're not painting what we're supposed to paint. And we're sitting there, and we're talking about ideas, and we're talking about the hierarchy of crime in prison, and I'm telling her, you know, that there is no hierarchy. And she is saying over and over, there is a hierarchy, and somewhere during this conversation is when she finally convinced me that a hierarchy exists. I may not be aware of it, but it does exist whether or not I see it. And it was like this for a lot of our subject content. We would grapple about what was necessary or what was relevant or what was needed. You were speaking about how you and Ashley grappled with the hierarchy of crime. We've grappled in these spaces that she has given us. What did you grapple with during season one the most? So in season one, Denise, I grappled with my health. I didn't know it was my health at the time. Um, I just thought you were cold all the time in the hot vault. (laughs) I was cold all the time. (laughs) I'm anemic. I didn't know I was anemic and I didn't know that it was a thing for me. And I was diagnosed with lupus and RA after we had finished recording season one and while it was airing. And honestly, I would struggle. You know, there were days when I would struggle to be present and I was aware of what we were doing and I was a full participant. But it was a fight for me really to be there. So in season one, I really struggled with my health. You know, that's what that was what I really grappled with, you know. But what was going on with you, though, you know, in your world? Oh, so much was going on. Just the the head spinning, you know, introduction of being part of a podcast was the first thing. Um, Having that trust that the DOC gave me this facility, you guys, Ashley, all that um, dealing with that, carrying that load. Um, for me and my personality, it's a lot to, to carry, to know that I'm representing not just myself in the whole thing. I know some people might say, oh, you're only representing yourself, but in the reality, I'm not. I'm a voice for so many women incarcerated. And I think that awareness, bringing, turning my awareness up um, of what I do, how I interact with people, um, becoming that representative that I have been asked to become, making sure I'm doing that on a daily basis. Um, it's still something I carry. But yeah, definitely learning to hold all that, uh, why we were creating season one, is something that I I don't want to say. Struggle is the word that comes to mind. Um, but in the end, it was almost just the growing process. So I, I'm imagining a butterfly transforming inside its cocoon, you know, um, because it is a struggle inside to become better, stronger, winged. To fly. I I hear you, Denise. But let me ask you this. What are you most proud of from season one? I could go into great detail about what I'm proud of, but uh, connections that were made throughout the DOC. uh, As the universe had it, uh, I was reunited with a very old friend through the podcast. And um, just the reunion of that relationship in my life has meant so much to me. But also knowing... We had listeners all over this world. I can't even, like, who knew? Like, I just, I stay in a state of shock and awe sometimes about what we are doing. I just want people to become more conscious of the things that we do and the things that we say. uh, Because we don't realize the impact. And that's what I think season one has uh, made me most proud of. Because that we connected with somebody in Australia, the people, and we I want you to talk about your story because I want people to know why else I'm proud. But your story talks about why I'm proud. Tell people your story. 
tell people my story. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I have many stories. Some are not interesting at all, but tell them this one. This is why, because I'm so proud that our team created a podcast that won an award. We won an award, baby. You know, the Evident Change Award 2020. Our listeners can't see this right now, but Dr. Hamilton is holding up the glass plaque that she received for the Evident Change Media for a Just Society Award 2020 for the Within Podcast. And honestly, I have to say that this is my most proud moment of season one. And if you would have asked me this pre-COVID, I would have had a different answer, you know, but the way that it came about, you know, it was crazy, you know, in a in a December of 2020, we were uh, on quarantine, our prison, that is our prison was locked down due to a COVID outbreak in the prison. And I was in my cell all by myself and we were locked down for 23 hours a day. We only came out for half an hour and that was so we could shower and use the phone. And at that time, human contact um, was very limited. And honestly, I don't even know if I would have even wanted human contact at the time because I was very afraid of catching the virus. And I would be in my room and I would wrap my whole head and my whole body in towels and blankets, right, because it's airborne. And, you know, this COVID is going to have a hard time breaking through like nine layers of cotton. So, you know, this is what I'm thinking. So I got my whole head wrapped up. I'm looking like a mummy. You know, I'm covering my vent anywhere that air can enter the cell. I'm covering it up. So, you know, I'm paranoid. Um, But anyway, anyway, I'm laying in my bed. And the reason I'm laying in my bed is because I'm having a hard lupus day. You know, I'm struggling. My body hurts. And it's Christmas time, you know, and anyone who knows me knows that I absolutely love Christmas. I'm a Christmas guy. I love the ribbons. I love the wrappings and shiny things. I love the cartoons, the specials. I love it all, you know, and I'll be damned if COVID takes me out of Christmas. You know, it will not. Um, I don't give a damn about the depression. You know, every night I'm there for every Christmas special that's on the TV. I'm watching it. You know, so I'm laying in bed and I'm listening to Christmas carols. You know, my body's hurt. You know, I got the music turned all the way up and I'm feeling the bass move through my body, you know, and I'm just enjoying the music. And so while I'm listening to the music, a piece of paper, you know, slides under my door. You know, remember that I don't feel too good. You know, I don't feel good at all. My body is hurting and I really do not want to get out of the bed, you know, but my spirit is telling me to get up. Get out of bed, you know, pick up this paper, see what it is, see what it says. And the whole while my body is protesting. So I'm battling back and forth for about 10 minutes. And eventually, you know, my spirit wins. So I get up and I I shuffle over to the door. I pick up the paper and I open the paper and it says, congratulations, you've won an award, you know, and I'm dumbfounded. You know, I see pictures of our whole podcast team, you know, and, and I'm just happy. I'm overcome with joy. You know, to me, this is a Christmas miracle, you know, and they say Christmas miracles don't exist. You know, this is a Christmas miracle. You know, Rudolph dropped this thing off right at my door, you know, so I'm, I'm feeling real. I'm feeling so real. And there are no words to describe the way that I actually feel because all of my pain went away. You know, my body didn't hurt anymore. And 
receiving that award really took me back. You know, I was no longer in that cell ducking COVID, you know, wrapping my body up in nine layers of, you know, cotton to try to stay safe. You know, it took me back. You know, I was with you guys and I was I was so proud. Here we are once again, Andrew, taking the proverbial leap with new purpose and vision. It is going to be the content that we look back on. And I know that we're all going to ask, we did what to people? Thank God that we have learned and we've changed. Um, And the fact that we are documenting history, I think it says a lot. And from the seat that I sit in, it says volumes. Yeah. And it seems to me, you know, that this season is hinting at, hinting. you know. What do you mean hinting? We're staring <laughs> down the tracks and the freight train's coming. Choo-choo, baby. Choo-choo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, I believe and I know you believe as well that our audience will enjoy this season for sure. You know, they'll hear unique perspectives, you know, to all the issues that we face today. You know, I agree, Denise. History is being written here. And my hope is that what we write is for the side of good. And it all starts with us having hard conversations, you know. So how about we go have some? Boom. In the words of our wonderful co-host, Denise Preston, we want season two to invite you into our living room. Ironically, prisons don't have living rooms. Within is an effort to create one, a space where the living happens. At the beginning of us dreaming up season two, our executive director, Dr. Ashley Hamilton, came to us with this quote from Donna Haraway. It matters what thoughts think thoughts. It matters what knowledges know knowledges. It matters what relations relate relations. It matters what worlds, world, worlds. With this as our base, we will be exploring the ideas of worlding. What does that mean? What does it take to be conscious of how you shape the world? How do we shape the world? Season one was an example of an incredible collaboration between CDOC and DUPI. That teamwork only deepened and amazed us all through this pandemic. We are still here and growing, believe it or not. We are recording from four different locations. We have four new amazing people on our team we can't wait for you to meet. Our friend and former producer, Caroline Sheehan, said, Passion Translate. And with that, it's important to us to bring to you the passionate voices, hearts, and minds of our whole team. So with this idea of worlding, we're exploring what it means to consciously create and be responsible for our world. So team, I want to know, how do you want to shape our world? Dr. Ashley Hamilton, executive producer. I'm shaping the world by creating artistic spaces of possibility and freedom. Denise Preston, co-host. I want to shape our world with inspiration, followed by action. Andrew Draper, co-host and sound engineer. I want to shape our world with boundless hope. Sarah Berry, associate producer. I want to shape our world with compassionate communication. Sean Marshall, associate producer. I would like to shape a world without limitations in one where everyone is seen, heard, and valued. Matthew Labonte, sound engineer. I want to shape the world leading with understanding and reaching for a connection. Angel Lopez, Media Development. I want to shape the world by bringing a visual and a light to what is not seen. Travis Barnes, Music and Creative Producer. I would like to shape our world by spreading light and hope through 
the glory of Christ and the gospel of Jesus. Brett Phillips, segment co-host. I would like to shape our world with the thoughtful nurturing of souls. William S. Grant, resident poet. I would like to shape our world where individuality doesn't create duality. And I am Terry Mosley Jr., producer of Within. And I want to shape our world through a conscious light that reflects that I know that I matter and that I can change things and that I can create things in myself and others to where my world looks different than what I created to get here. Welcome to season two. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me back. Congratulations on season one. Yeah, that was a big one there. That was the first time. Now it's the second time. We've grown a lot, and we're ready. So let's start off right out the gate. What did you enjoy most about season one? Well, I have to tell you, when we started this journey, I wasn't sure where this was going to go, but... I tried to make sure that we kept a light hand on it and that it really was your podcast and that you were covering really meaty stuff, right? Like big stuff, real items, real issues. I was curious, one, and maybe a little nervous about where you were going to take it. You said, yeah, there are stories to tell behind the walls of what happened with people, but you dealt with uh, this tension of what happens with people who end up behind the walls. How did you get there? And telling this larger story of what it means to be there and trying to find a way back home again. And can I be forgiven? I mean, you're really asking underneath the questions, really hard questions like, can I be forgiven for the thing? Can I ever be forgiven? I guess it's a long answer to say, good job because you really dealt with very difficult issues, told real stories, and didn't let it go to some place that was just spun out, right? You were bringing it back. And so I'm, I'm really curious to see where you go in season two, because the people are listening to us, right? Listening to this podcast, we're, we're trying to illuminate. We're trying to tell the truth about what happens when people come behind the walls and what needs to happen when they're behind the walls, what needs to happen for them to have hope for getting out and when they do get out what they need what do they need when they get out so good on you for all of that because that's a that's a different that's a difficult balance you've always encouraged us to tackle these tough subjects and tough topics and we always wondered why because when we first started we literally thought we were going to have a bigger muzzle than these masks that we wear now we thought we were going to be completely muzzled from being able to talk about these tough subjects and and tell stories and really shift the conversation about who's in prison. But you are a firm believer in these tough subjects and these stories behind the walls, and we're wondering why. Why did you encourage us to tackle these subjects? So I could do everything I can from the job that I hold now by saying that prison must be different than the way that it has been in this country. 
I can explain to people on the outside about why making prison a place of punishment, as I mentioned maybe in season one, is the wrong thing. The punishment is the loss of your freedom, not the loss of human dignity, not, should not be the loss of responsibility, and ever-increasing privilege and responsibility as you show that you're on a course. So I can change that conversation to say, you know, prison hasn't worked for our country the way that we want it to work. And all you have to do is take a look around the world and see that if we do it differently, things get better. But here's the key. You have to want it so bad that this place can be different, that things should be more normal than what they are. I don't want prison to be a place where we think that the job is to punish you. The job is, the job is restoration. That's the reason why I want you to own it. That's the reason I want you to have responsibility. And if you, if you blow that responsibility by making a small mistake or something happens, that's one thing. But I have to give you responsibility and ownership because the benefit is so much greater if you lead other men and women who you're living with. Yeah, you've given us the ability to take charge and take ownership of our community. And with that said, what is your hope for season two? Well, I mean, I really want you to continue the journey of telling the stories. But here's a question that I think you asked in season one, but I hope you continue to ask in season two. is like, can I be forgiven? What if I'm not forgiven by the people that I've hurt? What is still my responsibility? If the answer is like, no, I just can't forgive you right now. What is your responsibility if you're living there, and how do you give back? So you're giving back by, by doing season two of the podcast, yeah? Uh, but finding those individuals to tell the story of, and you told some of those stories, like how guys got involved in gangs. I learned something in that, that episode. So I hope you help continue to educate, tell the stories, and find places where redemption breaks out. One of the things you just said, is a hard thing to grapple with. There are a lot of people in this room behind these walls. And one of the hardest things to grapple with is realizing that you matter. When you've already gone too far, when you've made such mistakes. The reality that you might not be forgiven by your victims or society, but you have to get to a place where it's real. That you matter to your community, to the people around you. So thank you for that. Listen to me, it's not just people behind the walls that are asking these questions, can I be forgiven for the things that I, that I regret, right? You have a more profound voice in some ways because the thing that landed you there, you have somebody that you have hurt in, in, a, in a big way, in a profound way, in a way that may not be forgivable for them. That's their business about whether or not they can and should and will and want to forgive. That's their journey. Your journey is to decide whether or not that event, and I know these are questions you ask yourself every day if you live there, is that event, though, still the thing that is going to rule my life, right? So part of it is, is how do you own it? And then also, what do you do to take responsibility for the rest of your life? So one of the things that was on our minds during these COVID lockdowns, during these quarantines, is why did you want to keep within a lot? Why did you want to keep this podcast going? Well, I mean, this has been a horribly difficult season, but I knew, so I knew a lot of things that 
all of the things I wanted to do over this last year were going to get tied up and put on hold. But I knew that getting to the other side, all those other things that we were moving on, like this podcast, like the newspaper, like the other things that are that are coming up, those are those are commitments for us, not flash in the pan. So my hope and prayer is that there's a season eight and nine and ten. You know, does the podcast fix everything? No, but it is one more piece of ground that is taken in the name of normalizing prisons, humanizing prisons, making prisons a place where there actually can be hope. So all those things are going to continue, I hope, regardless of whether or not I'm in the job. And I think that's, I think it will, by the way, because I have a really great bunch of people who are working for me who understand the power of this. And now I have you. Part of what needs to change as we go through these things is for the staff that you all interact with, you know, say, we're better now. We're meaning the community of the people who live there and work there. That community and that facility is better than it was last year or the year before. And we want to continue on that journey versus the road that the prison system has been on for decades that has been dehumanizing. So it's not a flash in the pan. It's a journey, but we're not deviating from the course. I think I said in season one, you know, I'm not the only one who's going down this road, right, who's understanding that correctional system has to change. And I continue to be encouraged by my colleagues around the country who run other state systems. So even in this last year, as I see new people hired in in other states that hold my same job in other states, right, uh, that's what's changing, right? Like, can we have a conversation about where we're at on something, right? Not just us with our thumb on you and not with you just quietly flipping us the bird, but... I want, I want to have a conversation with you about it. And I don't, what I don't want on the other side is also, you, like I said, you're flipping us the bird saying, oh, yeah, whatever. So that's changing a little bit. Are we there? No. Do we have a long way to go? Yeah. But that part continues to change. Well, I know we're excited for season two. We're so happy to have you back and supporting us, congratulating us, and we appreciate it. We thank you for the interview, Dean. Yeah. Keep it going, you guys. Counting on you. Oh my gosh. I just, Andrew, that was amazing. I can't, I cannot believe, I always find myself in awe of like Dean and being in his presence. Like even though we're doing this virtually, I felt like I was sitting right next to him. His heart shines through in all of his honesty and through his courage always to speak up about the things that impact him, the things that impact his staff and the impacts of the decisions that he does to keep people alive during a pandemic. And he doesn't shy from all the social incongruence of our country right now. I'm just inspired to continue carrying his message forward and also just to be a better human being. You're right, Denise. I appreciate talking with Dean. You know, I appreciate him as a leader and his form of leadership. And, you know, I don't see him as just a dude. You know, there are some people that you would follow through fire and I definitely would walk through it or into it with Mr. Williams because he is that guy. And so if you ask me if I trust, yeah, I trust him. That's huge coming from you, Andrew. I think that's beautiful.
And now he would invite you to dinner. I think that's even better. We've been in prison a long time, Andrew. Right? Do you agree? I do agree. And seeing how far the department has come in such a short blip of time, I think, speaks to his progressive leadership. But I got to ask you, because I think about it often. Do you, did you ever, in all of your time incarcerated, because I know most of my life, my adult life, I've been in prison. Um, did you ever think we'd be considered residents instead of just inmates or offenders? No. I know what you're asking in the sense of the word of resident as opposed to offender. Yeah. No. It's, uh, it just, I just, that resonates within me. But do you ever hear resistance from not only staff? I know, I mean, staff, of course, are going to resist the idea of us being called residents or other than anything other than offenders or inmates. But do you ever hear it from other residents or other offenders? Like this change that's happening? Yeah. I do hear the resistance to get with the movement. But let me delve deeper into your first question, right? So Mr. Williams is progressive, but I also have to say that it's about time that someone finally did come into this position and begin shaking up the system that we're in, you know, because change is good. And to add to the resistance part you spoke of, you know, when people are forced into doing things differently, it goes bad most of the time. But when you can meet people from a place of care and gently encourage their own growth through responsibility and accountability, the end result is something great. And it's something like this creation right now that we have, Denise, is something like this podcast. Huh. That's a good perspective. For within season two, we have our resident poet, William S. Graham from the Denver Reception and Diagnostic Center back with us in the virtual room. In all of our interviews, Will sits, listens, and then crafts an individualized poem for each interview. Here's Will. Explore more. There's a journey we long to explore, like a giant door creaking to reveal more than you ever imagined into a world where those powerful dreams to build become a better future to come. Beyond the way we see our daily lives, Where are you from? A place that demands you to give others a second chance or a second glance. Clean the prison floor with tears of forgiveness and beautiful music that makes you dance. Wonder or simply imagine multiple worlds collectively. Exploring the truth in words where a large sense of courage meets a general sense of grace. The urge to listen, search, and change how you see the world. You long to explore more. We know you do. When we ask that you travel deeper within and see the journey through. But first, we say with all of our hearts and souls, truly, we thank you. For more content, music, poetry, and visual art, look deeper within at thisiswithin.com. Within is Ashley Hamilton, executive producer, Andrew Draper, co host, Denise Presson, co host, Terry Mosley, producer, Angel Lopez, media production and creative support, William S. Graham, Denver Complex creative consultant, Sean Marshall, associate producer, Travis Barnes, creative music producer. Sarah Berry, associate producer. Matthew Labonte, segment co-host. Brett Phillips, 
segment co-host. Within is a collaboration between the University of Denver Prison Arts Initiative and the Colorado Department of Corrections. Thank you for listening and choosing to look within.